Welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. In this podcast, we feature professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences to help learn from the experience of others. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast. I'm your host, Dave West, CEO here at Scrum.org. Um, today's podcast is actually the second part of a, um, of a podcast uh, about um, Scrum in Japan. Uh, I was talking to Gregory Fontaine, a PST based in Tokyo, and the conversation was so interesting, we decided to make up part two. So this is the part two. Now, if you haven't listened to the first one, that's okay. I it doesn't expect we're not going to be testing you on anything in the first one. Um, but if you do have time, then just uh, have a look at it. Um, because I think, uh, or have a listen to it, because I think you'll find it quite useful. So on the previous podcast, we talked about um, agility in Japan and Gregory's journey to be a PST in that country. Today, we're going to focus a little bit more on culture, particularly on how culture influences how agile is practiced in your country. Now, hopefully this is just broadly relevant, not just to Japan, but also to other countries as well. You know, as I'm very lucky in my position that I get to wander the world talking to different organizations doing Agile. And it's really interesting seeing the influence of, of local cultures and actually country cultures on how Agile is practiced. Anyway, so without further ado, welcome to the second part of the podcast, Gregory. Thank you for having me, Dave. Oh, wow, it's great. I'm learning a lot as we, as we talk. So let's, um, let's start really at, at a topic that we started to talk about in the previous podcast, which was around how do we move from a culture of analysis or certainly, you know, the perfection game, that kind of, you know, sort of thought process into a into a culture of delivery. We know that's crucial for Agile, and, and, and this is quite relevant in Japan. Yeah, um, I, think, I think for the most part, what, I, what I'm going to talk about is, um, is going to resonate with people outside Japan as well. But from what I've seen, uh, what stands out as keys to uh, making that transition and that, that, that change um, is um, the, the mindset adopting uh, a product mindset. Um, I think when when people try and, and adopt new ways of working and, and Scrum in, in particular or, or more generally speaking, agile development, if there if especially at the sponsorship level, if there is no understanding that um, the kind of problem that they are dealing with um, is one that requires, empiricism that requires um, trial and error, then everything is going to be very difficult from there. Yeah. If you believe, do you believe that you can, you can know exactly what your customer need? Um, do you believe that you can tell exactly what solution will satisfy them? Do you think you can fully design upfront a plan for implementing that solution? If you say yes to those questions, then why bother? And um, one big obstacle is that many, many people here are going to say, yeah, 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 we do. We, we, we can do that. That's fine. Waterfall is going to just, just work fine. And unless there is that um, switch or that understanding or that 
yeah, understanding that, nope, this is not the kind of problem we are dealing with and we would benefit from uh, an empirical approach, it's going to be difficult. It, it is interesting, Gregory. I, if, if anybody asked me those questions, of course, I would say, no, I don't know what my customer is, you know, et cetera. But there's still a desire to learn, you know, to spend a little bit of time prepping, to spend a little bit more time prepping, to spend, well, let's, let's spend that extra two weeks. You, you know, I mean, it's only two weeks. We can do a design sprint. We can, we can do, and then you finish that and you're like, well, we haven't quite got that information. We haven't got, you know, and you carry on. It's not that I would explicitly say I, I know. And as many people I speak to, they, of course, we don't know what our customer wants, but we want to know a bit more before we actually ask them. You know, how do you break that cycle? How do you persuade them to, because I don't want to look like an idiot delivering something that the customer really doesn't want. I don't want to look like an idiot even having the conversation with the customer without me doing a lot of analysis. How do I, how, how do you balance that, Gregory? Okay, okay, okay. I think, again, as I said, starting with the mindset like or, or, or the aligning on the type of problem that we are dealing with at the start is very important. If you get your sponsors, especially the execs or senior management to say, yes, that's the kind of problem that we are not going to crack um, just in one attempt, then everything, many things follow. And if you don't have that, like why bother investing in a CI/CD pipeline? Why bother having the testers or the UX designers and the programmers work together in a cross-functional team? Or nothing's going to make sense to them, right? Um, other than that, I think I think there, there's a big misunderstanding around um, uh, how we control, deal with risk in agile, in agile development and Scrum. Um, not everyone, but many people in Japan who have a shallow understanding of, of agile development look at it as something that is risky, unprofessional, maybe even. Um, they would incorrectly assume that delivering early and often um, leads to lower quality, for instance. And, and, and they don't see that delivering early and often is a great recipe for risk control. I often use the analogy of the Kaiten Zushi restaurant. Um, in my Japanese classes. Do you, do you know what it is, uh, Dave? No, no. Tell, tell me what one of those is. Okay. Maybe, maybe I can take you to one in a few months. <laughs> oh, excellent. That sounds great. Food and learning. That would be a great combination. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. Um, and so at the Kaiten Zushi restaurant, instead of ordering a whole set course, um, you choose one or two sushis, just one or two pieces, items, yeah? Um, you eat and then you reconsider. Am I full? Yes, no. Was it good? Yes, no. Um, what else do they have? What else do I want to try, etc. And you repeat until you're satisfied. And there is no wasted food by doing that. Um, there is no wasted money on the part of the uh, consumer, obviously. Um, and if the consumer ordered something they didn't like, well, the impact is minimized because Every plate is just one or two pieces, yeah? Yeah. And so the Kaiten Zushi restaurant uh, analogy is a, is a great example or analogy of how small batches um, help reduce um, waste control risk and, uh, and increase customer satisfaction, let's say. And so because there is this big misunderstanding, I, I think that that's one situation where um, clearly 
te a teaching stance, teaching or or or, or guiding your your client um, through um, um, a, a, a better understanding of the kind of problem they're dealing with and 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 and, and how agile development may help um, is um, is powerful. Teaching is not a solution to everything, but but I think there's there's a deficit of understanding around around this this area. So if I was if you were telling me that about this kind of restaurant, uh, I would say, well, hang on a minute, mm -hmm. that can't be very efficient because that means the waiter or waitress has to come multiple times. And hang on a minute, doesn't that mean that we have to, you know, do, you see that, and, and that is true of how people perceive this small batch size challenge. So what do you say when they say, well, we haven't got enough waiters for that? They have a CICD pipeline. <laughs> ah, so they use automation? Yes, exactly, yes. Ah, that's so smart. Plates on, 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 um, on, on a trail and... and and just the thing comes to the table automatically. So there you go. The analogy works even, <laughs> even on that front. Oh my gosh. So th then oh, that, 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 that is awesome. But the other thing that's interesting about how, how you frame this and see if I get this right, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this for a second, hopefully, is that ultimately you ask some questions. Am I full? Did I enjoy it? was you know do, do i you know do, do i need a drink now you know I'm, I'm sort of adding questions but you've got that classic sort of like incremental eating model um and that's true really of when we look at a problem we, you know we've got this product goal and it, we we want to ask questions of it and they are the best sprints that are focused on answering those questions when a sprint goal relates to a, a series of questions that we need to uncover, then that, that's awesome. Um, and I think that that kind of those questions need to be brought front and center. So you say, well, no, yeah, we do know the customer and we're awesome, but there's a couple of things we don't quite know maybe. Let's look at that for a minute. Would, does, is that really what you were sort of saying? Is that, does that make sense, Gregory? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, you can order whatever you want, just a little bit and reconsider later, which is, I think what's happening when you're doing scrum, you go after one spring goal, you inspect, you adapt and you see from there. So yeah, the analogy works quite well. It, it does. The other thing that it does, particularly for leaders is you don't have to spend, you can stop spending money. I know at a restaurant, I don't know about you, Gregory, but I've, I mean, I live in America, so we big portions, right? And we're like, when you go into the restaurant, you're like, yeah, I want an appetizer. I want a main course. Let's, let's think about, let's buy dessert. Let's do it. And the appetizers are so big that I don't, I don't, I don't really need the main course, but because we've ordered it and, you know, we're going to spend the money. I, I managed to eat it and then I also eat the dessert <laughs> and, then, and then I come out of the restaurant feeling not the best and that that's true of this as well that analogy this I'm going to be using this analogy from now on I think it's awesome and I'm going to take you to a Kaiten Sushi restaurant very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that so one of the things about the restaurant as you were describing to me Gregory was it's it seems it must be quite disciplined right you've got this 
automated way of food coming out. You probably got a kitchen that that makes sure that all of the right different bits of sushi, which I, by the way, love. So that I'm, I'm very excited about the visit. The different pieces of sushi are are being delivered, and and also somebody watching. You know, maybe there's a there's a big hit on uh, Niagi or one of the you know it was a particular role that's become massively popular. So they're keeping an eye on it. It's a very disciplined, very structured, very data driven, very. Is is that is that the case? I mean, Japan strikes me as a very disciplined place. So one of the strengths must be around discipline. Then in an agile situation, is is there anything that you've seen around discipline and the value of discipline? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, things that um, come to mind is, and I think people um, who come to Japan realize that um, um, after just a few days of being around is. Um, things are just function really well, really effectively. Trains are on time. Um, when flights resumed after um, when the uh, the pandemic uh, settled down, I think it was chaotic in many airports um, yeah. around the world. I heard, but but that did all, all not happen to the same extent at all in Japan. Um, I took a health check, my um, annual health che- health check the other day, and uh, there were dozens, if not hundreds of people uh, in the same batch um, as I was, and everything was so efficient and smooth, and, and my experience as a patient also wasn't bad at all. I mean, it's a health check, you know, but... So the efficiency also in the healthcare system is uh, is quite impressive. So yeah, discipline definitely. And Somewhat related to that, um, and that's crucial, right? To I mean, to effectively managing these batch sizes smaller and doing things, you you need to increase your discipline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know that this is this is not like exactly. Um, this is definitely not the only thing you need to um to have agility and uh, and effective uh, autonomous cross functional teams but it does help um it does help because um and and maybe that relates to commitment as well which is an important which is a scrum value right mm-hmm. um that as you know in in a scrum team you you want to have the right degree of healthy pressure um coming from within Pressure to um, commit to each other, pressure to be professional, pressure to be, um, um, yeah, pr- pressure to, to 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 deliver, and yeah. and you you don't want that pressure to be coming from the outside, right? Um, teams that are able to get that pressure from within, they are less likely to suffer from collective um, um, underperformance, let's say. And it is also less likely, I think, that several months later um, or years later, some new management comes in and they say, this team is broken. So let's go back to old ways of working. Now I'm in control. So, yeah, in the teams, in many teams that I've worked with over the last uh, six years that I've been here, where Agile had a foot in the door, let's say, of the team or foot in the door of the organization. Um, And again, the prerequisite would be sponsorship support agreement yeah Mm. when that happens um teams teams those agile teams can really be um really be effective and and agility can really shine in in um in japanese teams that's that's my experience and to some extent that is because of some of this 
underlying cultural like elements of Japan, but you know, the sort of the maniacal focus on the customer, for instance, you know, the the well organized, the discipline we just talked about. Are they is is that the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I compare it to France, and not not because I want to do some French bashing, but um, just uh, happens that the French people are the people I arguably understand best. Um, in France, if you call some agency or government um, um, office, whatever that be, but you you call the wrong number and you and the wrong person ends up answering your phone call and you start complaining or asking some question to the wrong person they are not going to treat you very nicely yeah <laughs> what <laughs> who's <Okay>. that guy <laughs> why is this guy calling me they're going to they're going to make you feel lame <laughs> like you're an idiot for giving that for calling the wrong number or 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 wasting their time yeah that's not going to happen to you in japan even if you call the wrong person the wrong service uh they're not gonna try to make you feel uh like an idiot they're gonna try and help you the best of their capa uh, capacity so i think that comes from a mix of consciousness respect for the customer uh commitment sense of responsibility and so on so yeah fully agree it's interesting you bring that up i was in before the pandemic i was in brazil and one thing that i noticed at um sao paulo was that the teams you know, Brazil uh, has a very family, very, you know, sort of like teamy, I don't know if you've seen their soccer teams, but they're very passionate and very supportive of each other. And it was really clear that psychological safety and trust was something that was easier there than in other cultures where there's more competition it's all about striving to they liked to work as a team and and i think that it is interesting that agile when you lean in to the cultural strengths of a of a society uh and accept and be and be mindful of some of the challenges in in that society you talked about risk earlier for instance you can really do fantastic things bringing in agile in in those those situations uh, Brazil would be an interesting uh, culture to compare um, Japan with. Um, I don't know what kind of, um, yeah, uh, differences uh, there are. But listening to your story, um, I feel like it, it's harder to get that psychological safety here in Japan mm -hmm. because a lot is not being said, and so, and so I think people think more about. Oh, what happens if I say this or what are people thinking of me right now? It's yeah, we 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 know that some things are not being said, so it makes people think twice. Yeah, so not that that easy to implement a psychologically safe um, culture here in Japan. I think yeah, that, that that is interesting, and it and it is easier. And it's also in the Netherlands, which is the most agile place in the world. You get coffee in the Netherlands, and it's usually served by a scrum master. The um, the because of culturally the Netherlands has this um, directness, uh, you know, which can be a little off-putting at times, but is incredibly re refreshing when you're doing an agile. So they have a different kind of culture that's created psychological safety there. And of course, these are all we're talking generalizations, and everybody's slightly different, and the world is 
very complex and, and different, but in, in general, there is something there that, that's, that's really interesting. So I guess as we come up to the, to the end of this podcast, um, and it really, I think being aware and being mindful of culture and the dynamics of that culture, when you're working often with teams that are made up of people from many different cultures now, we, you know, the reality is when you're building products and multinational organizations, you, you know, you never know those, those cultures, but being mindful of that, I think is super, super important, but just focusing back on Japan at the moment, you know, the, we talked about the adoption of agility isn't perhaps as widespread as we would like. It's sort of in the earlier adopter type thing. We also, in the previous podcast, talked about how much innovation, obviously we're, you know, we're all very much aware of uh, Nintendo and Toyota and all these sort of organizations. So that, that that's interesting as well. We also talked about some of the cultural elements that make agile work really well, like maniacal focus on the customer, the discipline, the, you know, et cetera. So what do you think's next for Japan? I mean, in terms of agile adoption, what would be your sort of parting words around people that listen to this podcast? Maybe they're working with teams that have Japanese people in them, you know, from Japan, sorry, or maybe they're working in Japan or, 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 Maybe they're working with suppliers from Japan. To, what would be your parting words around this? Okay, thank you for a great question. Um, I think we, I encourage people not to be frustrated with their Japanese colleagues. That's something I hear from people who come from outside Japan, is that very rapidly they become frustrated. They are quick to judge um how things are being done in japan and i think that's unhelpful unhealthy and uh and they fail to appreciate that uh, there's a learn a lot to be learned also from how things are done in japan so um yeah that's my first message to anyone who's coming to japan and trying to be helpful um the other thing is i think we need more leaders if you happen to be one of those early adopters if you're doing something that is working and you think some others might benefit from it. Think through what you can do for, for, for the rest of the community. Um, I'm, because you're, you're an early adopter right now. Um, so if you want to help Japan um, continue growing at, at, as a country, um, I think if, if there's a lot you can do by uh, sharing the know-how that you've gained by being an early adopter of uh, agile development or Scrum or whatever. And uh, so I encourage also people to do that, become leaders. Mm. Uh, great messages, Gregory. The And actually not just uh, unique to Japan, I think we need great leaders throughout the world. And I think there's also a propensity to always look for the negative whenever you go into any new situation or environment and compare it to maybe a view of the world that isn't necessarily also accurate of the world that you're comparing it to. And oh, this can't work here and all oh, these are idiots. And I think that ultimately by being curious and being humble, 
I think a lot of great things can can happen. And also carrying a little bit of enthusiasm. Let's not forget that because, you know, if you do these things, amazing stuff happens. We know that we've been on those projects, on those products, uh, and we have seen the power of this way of working change the world and, uh, or at least change the little bit of world that we're dealing with. So really uh, exciting opportunities. Uri, thank you for spending the time today. I understand it's uh, it's late where you are, early where I am, um, and I really do always learn something. And I'm very excited to come to Japan in November and have a few, uh, go to one of these restaurants and have a few pieces of sushi. Though, um, unfortunately, my metric system, my 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 um, metrics that I use to determine whether I'm full aren't necessarily well tuned so you're gonna to have to help slow me down a little bit in terms All of right. my consumption <laughs> <laughs> so you know they're uh, lagging indicators would be a good way to describe them but uh, okay. but I, yeah but i'm excited to uh, to see this continuous delivery process and pipeline in operation in a sushi restaurant that's going to be going to be great Thank you, Dave, for your great, great questions, for your curiosity and your enthusiasm. Um, we need it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gregory. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Dave West, uh, the host of the Scrum.org community podcast. Uh, today, I listened, asked some questions of Gregory Fontaine, a PST based in Tokyo, Japan. And we really leaned into the, the, the culture and the differences of, of how culture influences agile adoption. Um, maybe some of these ideas resonated. Um, this is part two of a podcast. So if you've not listened to part one, take your time, download it maybe, or other podcasts in the series. There's a whole collection of some really interesting things worth listening to. So thanks for listening and scrum on everybody.